Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender, feeling a little under the weather, after the weather. I guess the weather, the bad weather, uh, kind of was coincidental to Pete not feeling so hot. I don't know. I'm not going to make fun of him. Look, he's a good friend, but it's it's fun to pick on him. Give him a hard time. Weather got bad. Pete had to take a day or two. He needed, you know what? I know what it was. I figured out what it was. He's having climate anxiety. Pete is is off for two days. He's got climate anxiety, and he needs that time to the mental health break, you know, because he's seen on the news. He's seen things. He's heard things. He's aware of stuff. And because he's aware, it, it, it's harmful. And so I'm having to sit in. Because he's just got all this anxiety from the climate. Climate changed over the past few days, and it's very disturbing. You know, it was rainy, it's cold, it was warm last week, cold this week. It's the end times. What the heck are we going to do about it? Somebody's got to be responsible for the thermostat outside. Otherwise, you never know what might happen. You could have snow. It could be terrible. We don't know what to do. Anyway, just having fun. Now, along those ends, we, we were talking a little bit about uh, how all of this, tie, it all ties together. I mean, the, the Democrats are remarkably, what I will give them credit for, it, the Democrats have always been a loosely held coalition of special interest groups that don't care about the other special interest group. And so if it's if it's about race, the LGBTQ crowd doesn't really care about race. If it's If it's about uh transgender issues the uh the pro-abortion people don't really care about that the pro-abortion people you know all the other groups they don't care so all of these special interest groups what they are laser focused on is the concept of power they were really really good at power and using that power in a way that benefits their issue and benefits the power of governance to coerce and force people to Take a knee, so to speak. And it's it's always funny to me when I see people talk about DeSantis or Trump or all and calling them fascists. It's the weirdest thing when they call them fascists to me. It's clearly someone who hasn't studied any kind any semblance of real history, maybe no history, at least not 20th century or 19th century history, no understanding of what true fascism looks like. And it exists in the country, I mean not this country, but it exists in other countries. But socialism is more akin to fascism. Whatever the government really dictates what a company can do and how it can do it, that's far more fascist. The entire climate agenda is kind of a fascist move. If you took it to its logical conclusion, it puts the means of energy production in the hands of government. It, it puts the, your ability to use energy in the hands of government. It's a very fascist movement, but unfortunately, it's constructed like a religion. So it's kind of a quasi-fascist religion in a way. It is a it is a religion. It it is it, it functions like a church. It's got the hierarchy. It's got the rules. It's got it is religion, for lack of a better phrase. It's dogmatic. It's unceasing. It's relentless. You know who the enemy mankind is? The fallen man. They've they've channeled 
They've channeled the worst aspects of anything related to the Christian faith. They've uh, they've absorbed it into uh, a worship of the earth as a being that's got its feelings hurt, and and we need to make recompense to the earth because of the way the earth feels. Something along those lines. Now, tying it all together, I, and I'm going to go back because it's now a topic. It's it's been around for a while. I'm kind of surprised it never took off, but we're seeing all these TikTok videos of these kids that are very upset. And and this it's kind of a snowflakeish way of being. These kids are just not equipped. And again, I'm not referring to all. There's some amazing young people out there. I'm very blessed to have some in my life. They're amazing. They're smart. They've got a great work ethic. They've got value system. But it's not all. And unfortunately, there's a preponderance of them that are very troubled. And a few years ago, there was something called eco anxiety. It, it became climate anxiety. But there, there's a racial part. There's, a, there's a, a magazine called Scientific American. There are two science magazines that I've followed for a long time. One Scientific American, the other is Discover Magazine. Both of those have become liberal enclaves that, that are not about the debate about science. Science is best when it's challenged most. A true scientific breakthrough withstands the rigors of being thoroughly tested and debated. And when magazines like Discover or Scientific American abandon those, and they have, by and large, abandoned those, they become propaganda pieces. And it's, it's sad to watch. They still have some, some scientific articles that are actually, hey, there's a breakthrough in this or that and the other. But by and large, on climate and anything environmental, it's, it's, it's dogma. And to give you an example of that, and this was actually a few years ago, but it's becoming popular again, so I want to bring it back to your attention. Because when people talk about climate anxiety being a thing, that's another the propaganda the left is pushing. All these kids are very depressed. Suicide rates are very high. They don't have kids. But Scientific American three years, two years ago, claimed it, in fact, almost two years to the day, they claimed that climate anxiety was racist. No one's talking about the racism part of climate anxiety. It's all the young people now. But Scientific American was very clear that it was a racist phenomenon. It's really just code for white people. Now, they won't say it today. I, they will not say this day. They said it two years ago, but I'm going to remind you of what they said because this is becoming a thing. Is it really just code for white people wishing to hold on to their way of life to, or to get back to normal? Now, remember, this is in the shadow of COVID. But I want you to listen to the way this was written. This is Scientific American. The climate movement is ascendant, meaning it's rising and becoming more powerful, and it has become common to see climate change as a social justice issue. Where did we hear that? Now, this was two years ago. Where are we hearing that? We're hearing at ESG, aren't we? Equity, social justice, all that masking. It's, it's, it's a way to create an investment vehicle. Climate change is now a social justice issue. Climate change and its effects, pandemics, pollution, natural disasters, are not universally or uniformly felt. Now, remember, this is at the kind of the height of the pandemic they're writing this. The people and communities suffering most are always disproportionately black or indigenous or people of color. So we've instantly made the pandemic racist. We've made, it's just, do you see the filters they put on this crazy stuff? It is no surprise then that the U.S. surveys show that these are the communities most concerned about climate change. One year ago, the author writes, I published a book called A Field Guide to Climate Anxiety. Since its publication, I've been struck by the fact that those responding to the concept of climate anxiety are overwhelmingly white people. Indeed, these climate anxiety circles are even whiter than the environmental circles. Today, a year into the pandemic, the author writes, this was in 21, 
after the murder of George Floyd and the protests that followed and the attack on the U.S. Capitol, attack on the U.S. Capitol, Floyd uh, in the Capitol, I am deeply concerned about the racial implications of climate anxiety. If people of color are more concerned about climate change than white people, why is the interest in climate anxiety so white? Is climate anxiety a form of white fragility or even racial anxiety? Put another way, is climate anxiety just code for white people wishing to hold on to their way of life or get back to normal to the comforts of their white privilege? This is what passes for scientific discussion today. Is climate anxiety just code for white people wishing to hold on to their way of life? That's, that's kind of enough. And this was two years ago. The situation, the anti-white rhetoric now, has become just, it's a leviathan. The way to push that concept around. Remember, this was just climate anxiety two years ago, making the white the white response to climate change is literally suffocating to people of color. Climate anxiety can operate like white fragility, sucking up all the oxygen in the room and devoting resources toward appeasing the dominant group. As climate refugees are framed as a climate security threat, will the climate anxious recognize their role in displacing people? In other words, climate change caused by white people who now feel guilty about it and they've they've hurt all the people of color that white people brought this on the world unleashed this on the world everything that's bad in the world is because of white people it's and this is the indoctrination that that i'm talking this is a scientific journal he uh, calls the anxiety it's it's, it's 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 white guilt climate anxiety is just white guilt everything's you white people cause the problem, and you feel bad about it because you want to return to your to your white privilege. It only affects. It's just I'm, I'm reading this article in Scientific American, and you know it's it's here's here's part of it. I, I I don't I'm not reading you all of it. It's surprisingly short step from chronic fear of environmental doom, as the American Psychological Association defines eco anxiety, to xenophobia and fascism. There's that word. The left loves to throw around the word fascism. Racism is not an accidental byproduct of environmentalism. It has been a constant reference point. <sighs> this author wrote The Ecological Order. Early environmentalists in the U.S. were anti-immigrant eugenicists whose ideas were later adopted. This is interesting because the early environmentalists were lefties. They were progressives. This is funny. She's trying to act like the progressive movement is unattached to the eugenics movement, which sterilized people. And sterilization happened in North Carolina. Democrats pushed that and had it in place until 1972 in North Carolina. It was just settled during the McCrory administration. They took care of that in, in the best way they could. The U.S. were uh, the early environmentalists in the U.S. were anti-immigrant eugenicists whose ideas were later adopted by Nazis who were true fascists. They were the National Socialist to implement their blood and soil ideology. In a recent Dramatic example, the gunman of the 2019 El Paso shooting was motivated by despair about the ecological fate of the planet. My whole life, I've been preparing for a future that currently doesn't exist. Intense emotions mobilize people, but not always for the good of the life on the planet. Today's progressives espouse climate change as the greatest existential threat of our time, a claim that ignores people who have been experiencing existential threats for much longer slavery, colonialism, ongoing police brutality. We can't neglect history to save the future. So in other words, she, she's saying they didn't go far enough. 
that white people haven't gone far enough. This is interesting because she is she's again saying that only one group has suffered from slavery. Only one group has suffered colonialism or police brutality on the planet. She's just wrong. They're just wrong. There were what one and a quarter million white slaves in Northern Africa through the Ottoman. I just this is unbelievable. There's no group of individuals that at some point in history haven't been marginalized by another group. Sorry, it's the fact. It's the truth. Only in America, only in America did it get really made right in as best as it could be. Only in one. But to sit here and say, look, this climate anxiety crap, this you're spoon-feeding kids the death of the planet, and she's acting like only white people are doing it. Only white people have this problem. And this and, and make no mistake, this this seething racism is beneath us. It's behind all what you're seeing. You would have thought. 50 years after Martin Luther King, you would have thought that, and we were, we, we are, we are not a, I don't care what they say, we're not a racist country. But I'll tell you what, beating this kind of, beating this kind of drum of racist anxiety and racial everything and white privilege and beating the drum that it's all when the Memphis police brutality happened, it was interesting. It was a, it was a situation where five black cops that beat a black kid to death. It was it was horrible. It was brutal. It went off the front pages in three, four days where George Floyd lingered all summer and people burned buildings down. But for the race of the perpetrators, they're bad people that do bad things. It's not a poster for a systemic problem in the nation, a nation that recognizes and goes after all of these things to make them better. We do. We are not a racist society. We're not, a, we're not a transphobic society. We're not a homophobic society. We're none of those things. It's always these tiny, loud groups that try to make it that way. And they usurp, and they usurp, they usurp the power of others. In other words, I, I guarantee you the folks who fought so hard for civil rights that know that there's not a civil rights problem are now being usurped by other people that are trying to adopt their movement. The trans movement tries to adopt that or suck all the oxygen out of the room, for lack of a better phrase, for the LGBTQ movement. I'll get, and women's rights, women fought so hard for so long for so many rights, and it's being usurped by the trans movement. To have men competing against women and women are supposed to just take it? This is just the kind of biz- wackadoo stuff. Wackadoo, absolute wackadoo. Bob, welcome to the show. How the heck are you? Bob, are you there? Hello, Bob. Uh, at a laboratory, a climate standard lab, and I can tell you for an absolute certainty that this global warming thing is a terrible hoax. It's the most successful hoax in the history of the world. So now, wait, that, but, uh, wait, Bob. The left Bob. Are using it. Bob, you're a former climate researcher, right? That's correct. Okay, so now you're saying you've gone from a climate researcher. Where have you always had that opinion, or did your opinion shift over time? No, I know the physics. I know the engineering facts. Well, and I mean, I, I've studied people like Richard Lindzen and Pat Michaels and, and the you University of Alabama the folks. Guy, Richard Lindzen, that's the man. Yes, he is the he's, man. He's amazing. I've world. met him per, several times. and he's, uh, he, But all of his research, he's done phenomenal. Pat Michaels just passed away. But uh, these people have done phenomenal research over the years that gets just pushed aside. And Lindzen's saying, there's no here here. Joe Bastardi's a climatologist, a weather historian who's saying, Look, there's oscillations in the weather and things change over time, but it's not that not as bad. And I, 
What, what's your take on all this, having been in this field for a long well, time? Well, I watch the politics of it, and it just makes me want to vomit, really, because it, <clears throat> there are so many people, even the conservatives, have, they won't, they're afraid to challenge it, and that's the spooky part. They are. I'll tell you what, Bob, we've got to take a break. Can you do me a favor? Since you called, you took the time to call in. We have to take these breaks. Keeps the radio station's lights on. So please stay with us through the break, okay? All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim? He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. I uh, appreciate the folks calling about how to follow. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. It's Chad underscore Adams. It's Chad Adams Perspective if you do a search on that. And uh, I do appreciate that. Again, WBT staff, audience, it's just a, it's just a class act. Now, I will I want to get back to Bob. I hope he's still on hold. Bob, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, so a climate researcher, you did, you did, you've done this for some time. You see that it's it's completely hyperbole at this point. It's a it's a climate change doom and gloom scenario. Uh, it's always you know some kind of taking away rights and freedoms under the auspices of saving the planet. So, at what point did you realize how bad it was? What was kind of the catalyst for you? Well, the reality is. <clears throat> Bob, you were there, and you said the reality, and then the punchline. Are you still there? Man, I hope Bob calls back because he's getting ready to say something. You're like, you're ready to hear Bob say something, and then he's not there. So, Bob, if you're here, please reestablish connection with us because I thought it was going to be very, very interesting. And where we're going with this, I I, I know, look, I I know how – I even get bored with this. I see it on TV, and it's it's like a one. It's kind of like the January sixth commission. There are the people that think January sixth was the worst incursion. It compared it to nine eleven. It's this armed insurrection that that somehow the U.S. is so weak that but for a handful, not a handful, a bunch of people storming the Capitol, that that the the entire U.S. government could be overthrown. It, it didn't. It wasn't that way, and it certainly wasn't. They excluded a lot of stuff that now we are, we have become aware of. The point being, you know, as as cities burned, as the uh, occupied zone in Seattle or all of these cities that were burning under the auspices of peaceful protest, you can't have selective outrage on this. You condemn them all or condemn none of them, but you can't say, "Oh, it's bad here and not bad there." So, Bob, are you back? So we were tying it all back yeah, to I'm Bob. Back. So, Bob, okay? you were, yeah, I'm here. But uh, you were talking about, I said, what was it that turned you and, and, and made you realize how bad this was? Well, first of all, there's a very simple thing. If you know the chemistry of the air, it's 57% is derived from the ocean surface. 38% is derived from just primary biodecay in the world. 4% of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide. <clears throat> That's not a whole lot. Now, I also did a little bit of cursory research, so I've been away from the lab for a while. I found out there there's a nearly a 100% correlation factor between sun, solar radiation, and Earth temperature. If you look at it versus the carbon usage over the world for the last few hundred years where there's data, well, the last couple hundred years where there's real data, 
there's no correlation between global warming and solar radiation. <clears throat> it's, just, it's just not there. Uh, so those are things that occurred to me. And then I, I began to study Lindzen and Willie Soon. Uh, Dyson, the other famous physicist, uh, has spoken of this issue. And many, many other people who are not famous have said the same thing. But the spooky part is, as I was saying before, nobody, even the conservatives, are challenging this. And there's a fear because of the billions of dollars spent on this propaganda from the U.N., it, it is. I mean, it's not just the UN. It's it's other governments. It's our government. Because oh, when yeah. you look at research, it's kind of like the early days of tobacco research, where only the only money that was paying for tobacco research was paid by the tobacco companies. So you shouldn't be surprised at the outcome that research said cigarettes weren't harmful. And so That's when exactly when the right. U.S. Yeah. when the U.S. government is putting millions of dollars out to researcher <clears throat> to say that climate change is 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 everything every bit as bad as people want to believe it is then that's how you get funded. So the Lindzens don't get funded. The Pat Michaels don't get funded. Uh, the University of Alabama Huntsville doesn't get funded. Uh, but yet they still find funding to say, hey, look, there's a lot more science here that you're ignoring. Oh, yes. So, well, Bob, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for being a part All of the right. podcast. Thanks okay? for taking my call. You got it. And just for perspective, Bob mentioned something about CO2. It's 0.04% of the atmosphere. Point oh four, not one percent, not seven seventy, not forty percent. So it's four one hundredths of a percent of the atmosphere, and it's not a, a noxious gas or anything. It's necessary for all life. We are a carbon-based life form planet by and large. All of your plants need it. Uh, we need it because it sustains life on the planet. We're carbon-based life forms as well, not silicone. As much as Hollywood might be driven by silicone, we are not. So, you know, to Bob's point, when you it, it's it's it is astounding the degree to which they push this narrative, and even at your local government, I was astounded. You know, at the coast, when you see the windmill stuff and the people getting behind it, these are thousand foot windmills. These things aren't pleasant, and and I'm an all of the above energy kind of guy. If you can make energy that can drive my energy prices down and make things more efficient and better. But don't sit here and lecture me. I would, and, and people say, well, the oil companies get subsidies. Okay, get rid of the oil subsidies. Get rid of all, all of the subsidies for, for energy. Let it compete. Let it be a true free market. Let us, by the way, let the U.S. produce, unleash the power of us to empower ourselves to be. And when we said we were energy independent a few years ago, we were. And what that, that didn't mean that, that we were that all of the oil produced here stayed here and powered us. It meant that the total amount of oil we were producing was more than we were, the total amount we produced was more than we were consuming. So on the global market in controlling prices and competing for prices, we were producing more than we were consuming of it until the Biden administration. And now we've gone from a, an energy independent nation to an energy dependent, meaning we are not producing more than we are consuming. Meanwhile, China's laughing all the way to the bank. There's, they're not slowing. I mean, it's funny that we don't hear these condemnations from the left about China and their coal facilities. They're building, they are building more coal-powered facilities right now than all of the other industrialized nations combined. Look it up. And unfortunately, you can also, if you have a medical condition, you go to Dr. Google and you can find out. You'll think everything, every, all roads, by the way, you, you sprain your ankle, you look enough, you'll find that you have some horrible deteriorating disease on Dr. Google. So the point being, 
be very cognizant of, of when you see, and, and if anything here, what we want you to do is be aware when you see stuff, when your city council or your county, when your county commission starts talking about the role of government is to for, for housing insecurity. Notice they use these very psychological phrases. It used to be a, affordable housing. And by the way, the left is really good at changing phrases. You know that. We talked about it was global warming years ago. That That's kind of lost. So it's climate change now. And and if you look back, you go, well, it used to be affordable housing. Now it's 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 housing insecurity. It's climate. It used to be eco-anxiety. It's now climate anxiety. It used to be, you know, there's so many different phrases that the left uses that when they lose favor, they become unpopular. They create new phrases. And this whole cisgender 60 or 59 different gender stuff, it's, it's just a bunch of hooey. It really, really is. We're better than this. As humans, we're better than this. I mean, you, you, can you imagine if, if all of a sudden some other form of life on the planet became sentient in some way that was able to, to communicate like we do, and it's observing us and looking at us and it's going, it's trying to understand why we say and do the things we do. It would make very little sense. The entirety of of the special interest, the overload on special interest. And in fact, I love to look at it this way. A lot of these things you see that occupy a lot of the space in news now is, is because life got so good that we had to focus. We had to major in minor things. And we've done a very good job of majoring in minor things. Not for the betterment of society, but to the detriment of her. Kind of the fall of Rome side of the equation. Now, uh, before we get into this, I do want to mention something before we get to the end of the show. I don't want to mumble through it like Biden would. So Roy Cooper, about two hours ago, tweeted. And he doesn't tweet. Most of his are written, even though it's written under his name. It's often funny when you read the governor's tweets because they're written in third person. It'll say, today, Governor Cooper, and it's from him. So after about the first year, I was correcting them pretty regularly saying, hey, why don't you guys you know, figure out a distinction? And they finally said, uh, tweets written by the governor will be signed RC for Roy Cooper. They didn't say for the Roy Cooper part, it's me, but they said RC. This one's not an RC. It's been two years since the American Rescue Plan was passed by Congress because all things that happen in D.C., this governor loves. I mean, he's drawn to it like ice cream on a hot summer day. So... The American Rescue Plan was passed by Congress, enabling North Carolina to make historic investments, including connecting more houses to high-speed Internet, updating water infrastructure, and supporting child care centers. Because that's what he sees. He, uh, our governor is a nanny state governor. He believes that the government is there to provide everything for you because anything that didn't work out in life is not your fault. It's someone else's fault, and thus someone needs to be held to account. And if only we could do all this. Now, I say that. I'm going to a very specific area, which is high-speed internet. There's been a lot for the past five or six years about putting all of this infrastructure, spending billions of dollars putting high-speed internet in the last mile to get high-speed internet to people's houses. Meanwhile, in the private sector, cell phone companies are putting in 5G, a massive infrastructure of high-speed uh, wirelessly, something that's been around for you know a couple decades now in case people weren't paying attention. When you travel abroad, if you were to go to places like Costa Rica or even in our own U.S. territory of Puerto Rico, you would know very mountainous territories, very difficult to get infrastructure in and out of. They just – they didn't use – I mean, th th 
Puerto Rico's got plenty of governmental problems because they're completely dependent on the U.S. If ever there's a cautionary tale, my childhood home of Puerto Rico is it, about the the, the horrific nature of what ends up to a, a, a place when the U.S. government tries to do everything for everybody. It ruins the nation. But in a lot of these places, they didn't do this last mile of Internet. They didn't put all the infrastructure in. And here's what's happened. Cell phone use has become so much cheaper, and Internet access via cell phones is in place, and it's so much cheaper that all of the billions in infrastructure we're going to spend on this last mile of Internet for a wire, it's going to be wasted. That's going to be outdated technology. And this is usually this is the problem when government gets into things it shouldn't be doing, like Internet to people's homes. The private sector does a phenomenal job of making sure that happens over time. It does. And we're going to spend all of this money for stuff that's going to be worthless, if not already worthless in many regards. You know, I'm amazed when I'm in the green swamp driving through Nowhereville, North Carolina. I still have cell phone and internet coverage on my phone, traveling at 65 miles an hour. It's kind of like the deer hunting situation, right? You go in the woods, you're, you're hunting deer, you're all camouflaged out, you're not making a noise, and you get that deer. Or you're traveling at 70 miles an hour in a car, and it jumps out in front of you. Those wily critters, those white tail that they are. But just worth mentioning. That, that the government shouldn't be doing things that the private sector will address anyway over time regardless and do it in a much more efficient and cheaper manner. And speaking of those things, it's kind of to end on a high note, for lack of a better note. I was noticing, I, I tweeted something earlier about Great Britain is making you register your chickens. People in Great Britain who keep chickens in their back gardens will have to register them with the government under proposed new rules to crack down on bird flu. Now, I you know, I would have thought, it was about because so many people are getting chickens because it's expensive. So you would think that they're wanting to get that eggs are expensive. So they want to get chickens. They want to make their own eggs. While those who own 50 or more birds, such as chicken farmers have to register their flock. Currently people who have birds for their own supply of eggs as pets do not under the proposed new rules being consulted on by government bird owners would be required to update their information on an annual basis. So I tweeted, said, you know, hey, look, you, you see things like this, you go right back to 1984, not the year, but the book, and you go, hey, when the when the government wants you to register a flipping chicken, you kind of reached peak government, haven't you? And the people talk about peak oil. That ought to be my book. Have we reached peak government? And clearly, I would have thought in the 90s we did. I listened to Biden and the Democrats today. We haven't re- anywhere close to peak government. I guess socialism would be peak government. And the Democrats want to push for peak government. So so a, a wily Adam Love, who's a listener to this broadcast and someone who's acting on Twitter, said, ah, Chad, well, North Carolina's already done that. They did. He's correct. Back in 2015, so it was done years ago, but I don't think it's ever been lifted. State veterinary, uh, veterinarian Doug Meckles announced additional precautions that are being placed in North Carolina to prepare for possible introduction of highly pathogenic avian flu. This was back in 2015. The North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services is requiring all poultry owners, regardless of the number of birds, to register for an NC Farm ID number. This will facilitate the department in alerting poultry owners about an outbreak, especially owners in close proximity to a positive farm. Now, on the one hand, it co- this calls back to a founding quote, and I, don't, I think it was Franklin who may have said it. I could be wrong. That those who would trade freedom for security deserve neither. We saw this with after 9-11, and, and we've seen this overreach of government. But to get to the point that, that – so what they're doing is they're saying, you need to register your chickens, even though chickens have a very limited lifespan, with the government so the government knows what you have. 
under the auspices that we're going to tell you and protect you because avian flu. Well, there's no reason in the world the media shouldn't be handling the avian flu stuff. Or the local health department can let you know if there's avian flu. Flu is flu. Let you know. Inform. Do you really need to know I have a chicken? Do you really need to know I have a chicken? Or a parrot? Or some other kind of avian friend? Maybe I have a really friendly mockingbird. They're not the friendliest of critters, but who knows? Maybe I have a friendly mockingbird. Do I need to register that with the state? Not a chicken. But it looks like small flock, large flock, any kind of bird. It's a pet bird. You kind of They kind of want to know. But doesn't that amaze you that we've reached, and I said this just shortly ago, that we've reached a point where we, we have so much either time on our hands, freedom, not freedom, freedom would be the wrong word. We have so much access to information, and government is trying to do so much more than it needs to. Focus on public safety. Make your county the safest county. Make your city the safest city. Focus on education. Make sure our kids know how to, how to think, how to learn. How to add, how to read. Those are critical things. Maybe even throw an economics course in there. We don't need to be taking our children down the path of being the nanny state. We don't need to make them anxious about climate. We don't need to be te- teaching them about trans and, and, and trans drag shows and drag queens. We, this is just silly stuff. It is a waste of time, and it's just making us waste energy. We could be solving big problems now. But I've had a blast being with you guys here at WBT. Looking forward to my buddy Beat Callender being back in the driver's seat. Always a pleasure and honor. Chad Adams, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, either one. Always a pleasure. Folks, thanks. Thanks to the staff, WT. Have a great weekend.